advisory to those who are not animal lovers, open to new ideas, or interested in integrative holistic healthcare for your pets, and believe that prescription diet is the best food for your pet. This podcast may offend your sensibilities. Have you ever felt frustrated and helpless after listening and doing everything your vet told you to do but it only made your sick pet worse and not get any better? That's me in 2008 with my first adopted cat, Meow. I did everything the vet told me to do and I realised she wasn't getting any better and only worse. So I decided to look into alternative health options and was drawn to the stories of holistic pet service entrepreneurs and their transformative journey, overcoming obstacles, chasing their passion and creating a movement that has caused a ripple effect of positive change in the lives of their clients and pets around the world. Join me as I share the raw, inspiring journeys of these amazing entrepreneurs, their successes and failures. My name is Amrys Wang, and this is The Raw Entrepreneur. Good morning, afternoon, evening, wherever you are in the world right now. This is Amrys Wang of The Raw Entrepreneur. Today's episode is with an amazing lady whom I have respected and admired from afar for such a long time. It took me a while to summon the courage to make a request for this interview as Caroline Ingraham is the godmother of zoopharmacognoxy, also known as animal self-medication, in the world. This is a two-part interview as she was kind enough to share her time with me and opened up in such a personal way that any fans of hers will not want to miss a single moment. She truly is a wonderful human being who sincerely wants to help the voiceless. This is her story. You know, because you basically rode on this wave, this universal wave that's been taking you down. Um, How did you, you know, start your business? I mean... Yeah, good question. Uh, it all grew organically. So, um, it, I, I just innocently, honestly, just, you know, my first step was, you know, my dream would be just to go out and in naivety, you know, go out in the middle of the night and help somebody's horse somewhere that was suffering, you know, a bit of the James Herriot sort of feel to it. Um, and then people wanted to be trained. Yeah, so okay, so I did some classes. I remember Fragrant Earth, Yankees Merit, he asked me to do my first lecture. And I remember being terrified. And of Jan, I had known from America because I did actually used to distribute to surrender oils in the very early days. And I don't know how I got to know Fragrant Earth, but I did. So I came back to England. He said, Karen, I've, I've got a class for you in Somerset. And I was terrified. I, I, I just said, you know, I did the morning and I said, Jan, I don't think I could go on in the afternoon. Can you just go on stage and talk about lavender or something? He said, no, Karen, you've got to get back on stage. <laughs> and so I, uh, it took, after four times, um, uh, I loved it. I got the buzz from lecturing and um, I really, 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 really loved teaching. So people would say, would you teach? So I would teach. 
and then it got more and more and they wanted a school and I I seem to always sort of think I should be accommodating everyone if they said they want a school I just kind of do a school I don't know why I just I, I think I was just so excited that people were um, wanting to learn but they'd only seem to want to learn if they got a certificate so I thought okay well then I have to do a certificate I had no idea anything involved in you know how to set up and run a school and then lots of demands were being made and um yeah, if there was, you know, it's, and, and I, my first little house that I could afford in Hay-on-Y was literally a one up, one down. So I had one room downstairs in the bathroom, a tiny little kitchen and tiny little room for me, which I could put one bed in and the kids shared a room. And um, so I was sort of having half my work it was on my table and the other half was, um, you know, the kids where they would eat. And um, um, so where's it taking me? But yeah, so I was finding it really challenging because I, I felt I was really, you know, everybody's wanting quite a lot and, you know, uh, handouts and printed things and into the bargain. Uh, I have dyslexia, so I'm rubbish at spelling and then I get really upset that there's a spelling mistake and I was thinking, whoa, um, and it, it began to take off and um, it was, it was, you know, and then I, I sort of put a course together but I really made a rod for my own back. You know, there was a lot of marking to do and that it was very difficult to see how people were working through writing because you can write anything you want. If you're a good writer, you might win me over um, because you can say whatever you want, how am I gonna know unless I'm seeing that person individually? So I found that really challenging because it wasn't well known enough that I could have enough animals to really you know, test people individually and every animal is so different. Some are super easy, some are much more difficult. So it was, it was becoming more and more challenging uh, with my course. And, and my other business in the early days, I used to cut out printed pieces of paper and stick my labels on with sellotape. And it wasn't that long from, from my house. And I was rubbish at maps, so I didn't have, anyway, I don't know how it ever took off. Anyway. So Martin came into my life, thank God, because I was so exhausted. I had two companies. I used to basically work with one company answering emails that are teaching at weekends or whenever. And then at six o'clock I would stop and then I'd begin the essential oil company at six, three to two in the morning. So I was exhausted. And um, Martin came into my life and thank goodness rescued me because I think I was on burnout. I was so tired. And he just put everything into shape. And I got, you know, label printing machines and, you know, website done that was much more efficient and uh, where they added all the oils up on the website and, you know, really turned it into a professional company. Um, and then the school, um, I kept on going with that for a little longer, trying to improve it all the time. Um, but in the end, I just thought, you know, I think I'm going to, I'm gonna help more if I can get out to the world. And so I spent the last five years just traveling everywhere where I could get to so many people. Um, yeah, I could get to so many people and spread the word that animals could heal themselves instead of just, you know, what, 24 people? Because it takes a long time teaching someone because, you know, every animal is so case sensitive and it's such a huge responsibility running a school. Um, and then you've got to, 
be a, be a headmistress in many ways. You've got to, you know, do a code of ethics and, you know, and, and then that sort of cut into me being able to do other work that I was really passionate about, which is really get this world, uh, this work out to everyone. And I, I guess if I was to sum it up, it would be um, that I want people to have the information on how to take responsibility for themselves, their children and their animals. So their hands are tied. They know how to heal themselves. They know how to heal their animals. They know how to heal them to their children. And yet, you know, when it gets to an advanced stage or perhaps it's something very acute, then you know you've got, you know, you've got, um, there's, the, there's the vet, there's the doctor. But it's at those times when either it's in between, it's not quite bad enough to go to the vet or the doctor, but if you leave it, it will get worse. That's a good time to use the oils. Situations where it's chronic, where uh, very often it's medication is the way to just um, support the individual, but not uh, yes, through yeah, whatever condition they're suffering from, it helps them manage it, but it doesn't cure it. And so that's where uh, coming into um, looking at the oils and looking yeah, at ways to see, to get to the root of problems and um, and then I guess, you know, using it to find out why that poor animal or that poor dog is bouncing off the walls, has extreme separation anxieties. And, you know, what must they be feeling to have that extreme behavior? And then maybe they have to be, you know, go through training because they think it's a behavioral problem. Yet it might be they've got a horrible migraine or pinched nerves. And it would be really difficult to go through training when you're not feeling great. So my message to behaviors who, who initially used to think that I was trying to take their place and I met a lot of resistance there. They now understand that my message that if the animal is feeling well, just like if we're feeling well, it's much easier to train them. And so they're gonna get much better results. It's not, I'm in competition, you know, I'm not in competition with anyone. My message is just, this is, you know, this is the way to find out if your animal needs help because they can't speak and they can't tell us other than changing their behavior you know <clears throat> because you use oils and i've i've met people who tell me um you know, oh um you know why is this oil more expensive than this other brand for instance you know brand a versus brand b and they will tell me like, oh, you know, you can buy it from the supermarket, from the, from the, you know, the, 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 the pharmacy, you know, on the owl. And they say, why, why is it so cheap compared to say a different brand that might be three, four, five times more expensive, you know? Suppose, do, you, do you want me to answer that question? Yes, please. Okay. Um, I suppose it's the life force within the oil. So basically, um, you know, you, let's, let's say, you know, if you're buying a therapeutic oil, it might stay in the vat, in the distillation process for longer. So say it takes another two hours to get the heavier molecules up. Well, those molecules might be very important in the uh, healing process of that animal, what that animal needs to select to bring itself back into health. So you get the cheaper oils and the distillation process is probably going to be a lot shorter. So it would be much less diverse in its therapeutic efficacy than an oil that has gone through a longer distillation. Or it could be it's organic or wild crafted, which means again, it will have 
not only a greater diversity in its therapeutic action, so it's going to help the animal get better uh, much more efficiently. Um, it's also, you know, going to have um, phytochemicals in it that are going to be much more active uh, if they're organic uh, than non-organic because anything that has a pesticide, um, not only you've got the pesticide, but also that plant isn't as robust because it doesn't have to defend itself. So when you get the plants um, that are organic, for example, it's going to be much more um, alive with its um, photoactive you know, efficiency. Um, also, it could be made from old peppermint leaves or something. It could be from the perfume industry that's something left over. So it's old and it's lost its life force. Um, case in point, my course last weekend, I had two, um, um, two devil's claws and one was uh, a powder that had, was pre-powdered and the other one was a devil's claw that I had ground so it's almost like freshly ground coffee uh, or some of the dogs only selected the ground and wouldn't touch the other one and others maybe had a few licks of the not so fresh one but took all of the fresh one so um <clears throat> you know I get feedback that you know uh, and I've seen it myself you know if it's for example carrot seed I've had a cheaper carrot seed and the animals aren't selecting it, but the wild carrot seed, they do. And I found so much earlier on because in my day, the oils were really, um, uh, they were really um, you know, pure because there wasn't loads of companies. There wasn't you know, lots of, aromatherapy wasn't big. It was tiny when I began training in it. And so people didn't um, dilute oils or um, you know, cut them with other natural products, which are cheaper, so they can say it's natural. So you, know, you get narrowly, but you maybe add some orange because it's from the same tree. Um, then you're going to make a lot of profit, but you can still call it natural because they are both natural. So, um, but I began to notice I wasn't getting the same uh, results. And I did think, well, you know, am I losing my touch? And then a friend of mine who's a scientist in, um, uh, she said that uh, in the essential oil scientist, she said, oh, you gotta you know, check, check out this company's oils, you know, they're uh, therapeutic, um, human grade, you know, doctors use them in France. And you know, I was getting results again. So um, yeah, it's, it's either the animal's not gonna select it. So you're totally lost because everything's pointing to then selecting carrot seed and you've got no alternative. It's just you've got rubbish carrot seeds so they're not being selected. Mm. Um, or it means you don't get them as well as you could do. So basically, you know, to, to be able to provide this level of care of self, to allow the animals to do self-medication, you actually have to provide high quality, ideally organic uh, or wild crafted if that's the right term, um, and therapeutic grade um, ingredients. Yeah. yeah, and also, I mean, some of the companies we use 
are you know, really small growers and there's so much love that goes into the oil, like our time, um, but they can't afford an organic certificate. They're just a really small family business. It's really expensive to go through all of that. Mm -hmm. So in that case, we call it artisan because it's from a small, small family grower and there is no pesticides, but it's just very expensive. So it's sort of no, yeah, to, to go through the organic procedures. Um, then I've got non-organic carrot seed, which is rich in carotol. That works well for liver problems because it's got a lot of carotol in it. Whereas my other, my wild carrot seed doesn't have any carotol in it. So the oil that saved my dog's life was rich in carotol. So, you know, but it's still from a good quality grower, um, but it's not organic, but it does have the constituent I'm looking for. And I can't find this constituent in the organic oil. I haven't found a supplier that does that. Wow. And I get the breakdown. So it's really knowing, you know, your oils or trusting your supplier, really. And it's like the uh, German chamomile. You know, I, there was somebody in my course and the German chamomile had gone blue-green, sort of a greeny-blue, and the horse wouldn't select it. But then they uh, picked up mine, which was blue, ink blue, which is what it should be like, and the horse took it. So it's going to be impossible to work with bad quality oils if you're wanting to heal an animal. Wow. You know, it's, it's a lot to take in and I, I'm savoring everything that you've shared today because it's, it's, it's very meaningful in so many ways. Um, when, what are you, what would you say you're most proud of in your whole journey to date today? I suppose, um, I suppose I'm most proud of uh, the fact that so many people are, have embraced self-medication and so many animals are being helped because of it. And what would you, you know, if, if you could, what would you like your legacy to be? As in? If, you know, if, what would you, your gift to the world? Hopefully that, that, you know, that people, this will be a way of life. You know, that people will have uh, a kit of remedies and they've got their own pharmacy and they can find out what the animal needs to bring itself back into health. And it's not just essential oils. You know, it's amazing what else can be achieved as well. I was working with my dog recently, so this is a new strain to my bow. And she had, um, she's got a condition, fungulosis of, of the um, rear end, which is a common German Shepherd problem. And normally she would need to be on antibiotics and uh, steroids. She doesn't do well on veterinary medicine. She's had it twice. Uh, it, it, it really you know, knocked her out. And um, so she, she just doesn't do well on, on it. So I thought, okay, you know, no, no, she's not going on antibiotics for the rest of her life or steroids. We're going to find another way. You know, she was selecting oils, 
which she does anyway. You know, she's an elderly dog. She's got, um, you know, she was a rescue. She's had a really tough time. So she let, she selects anti-cancer oils every now and again, and then she stops. She turns into a puppy. Maybe four months later, she have another pickup of anti-cancer oils, and then she's a puppy again. And she goes and ebbs and flows. So she's feeling a bit down uh, for oils. And um, anyway, so yeah, but she had this condition. So I thought, okay, it's constitutional. Um, I'm going to look at homeopathy. I don't know anything about homeopathy, but I do have some homeopathic remedies around the house. So I looked up on the internet, okay, what's this condition? And I saw a couple of remedies and yeah, I went down and um, see if I could help her. And she inhaled them. Um, she licked at the belladonna and I thought, okay, you want that by mouth? And she took two belladonnas and became really peaceful. Uh, a couple of the others, she just wanted to she worked with just like an essential oil. So she blows into the bottle, you know, like she would essential oil. You see her whole body language come down and her eyes get really heavy. And she just see the breathing changes. And this is just inhalation. And I'm thinking, wow, what dosage are you getting with just inhaling? Is that a stronger dose as far as homeopathy goes? So um, anyway, so then I spoke to my friend, Tim, you know, the vet in Sussex. And I said, Tim, you know, got anything you can do for this condition? He said, yeah, yeah, He said, look, I'll send some um, uh, gunpowder down because it's a key remedy. So I thought, okay, great. So gunpowder came in the post. So I offered it to Lexi. And when I offered it, she really acted as if it was the worst essential oil she'd ever smelled. She jumped back and turned her head. I thought, really? From something that doesn't smell? You've really got that response? And <clears throat> anyway, Tim said it was good. So, but she doesn't want it. So that says to me, okay, she's maybe not ready for it right now. So I'm just gonna offer it every day. And then after a few days, she took it and she wanted to take two by mouth. And now it's her standard remedy that she takes. But, and sometimes she just wants to inhale it and she goes very deep and sleepy with it. Um, she's also working with the essential oils. So it, it it basically, everything, everything in the human, you know, everything is sort of, many of the therapies are human led. You know, even how we should work with homeopathy, it shouldn't be done, you know, they shouldn't, homeopathy shouldn't be done you know, with essential oils or, you know, or essential oils should be taken this way or that way. It's all somebody's decided to put red tape around it, but the animals were very, very clear. And she was working with carrot seed and lemon and homeopathy, and she got better. So, you know, so all those people who say the oils don't go with uh, homeopathy, they did, and they got her better. So, you know, and I look at people who say we shouldn't take oils by mouth. Well, primates do, and we're not too dissimilar. And if they want it by mouth, they get the cloth, they dunk it in the water, and they suck on it. Mm. Or if they want it topically, they rub it on them. You know, it's it's we it's it's us who's put all these rules, and we just you know, and there hasn't been that much clinical testing really. It's to put all this red tape around, and you know, you can never put rose in the same bracket as clove or garlic, and 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 it depends what condition that individual is suffering from. You know, as I said, what species they are. You know, and and then their individuality, like a fingerprint. You know, how do they respond to essential oils? Do they need a stronger dose or a weaker dose for their condition and their physiology? So um, it's very much sort of individualized medicine is what I practice. So I wouldn't say I'm 
um, an aromatherapist because I don't work like an aromatherapist. I wouldn't say I'm a herbalist, even though I work with herbs, because <clears throat> I'm not a herbalist. I wouldn't say I'm a homeopath because I now work with homeopathic remedies. I would say I work with self-medication. I read animals and see what they select to bring themselves into health. That's amazing. You know, I think what you have is truly a gift, you know, and for you, you know, I, I would love to one day be able to visit you in person and attend a course of yours in person because, you know, um, I remember Dr. Shelton was like, yeah, she was in awe of the course that she attended with you. You know, she had such great respect for, for the work that you did. And um, I think this would be like one of, one of the, the, the wish lists that I have is to one day be able to, to, to visit you and, and, and attend one of your courses live, you know, just well, lovely to have you there. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, which reminds me, how has COVID treated your business and your life in general? Okay. Um, um, I was just going to go back one step with the uh, things, you know, going into the more scientific. I do now have a scientific writer from, you just reminded me of it, from um, Harvard, who wants to follow my work and submit it to um, different you know, mag uh, scientific magazines. Um, so that's great. So it's even, it's now sort of getting respected just in the scientific communities, which is good uh, because it is a science and um, it can be explained. Um, how's it work, COVID? Um, COVID was in a way a really good break. So I hadn't realized how tired I was. I think you know, it, ever since, the day I came back to England, I don't think I've really stopped you know, for my two kids um, being a single mom. And I don't think, I don't, I never take, I'd never really taken more than five days off. And I think that um, COVID, I stopped. And when I stopped, I couldn't, I could barely move. I was sort of sitting in my deck chair in the garden thinking, Oh, wow, this is amazing. And I just sleep and I can, I'm meant to be writing a course. And I was just like, wow, I spent that time uh, just really recharging my batteries, feeling guilty if I hadn't done enough of my course. I did, I'm sort of trying to get some online course together. <coughs> I also decided I needed to look after myself. And so I began to look much more into uh, my health, you know, to, I think, you know, like epigenics and you know, just looking at, you know, really maximizing my energy, just looking at the mitochondria and, you know, the, the internal workings of, just fascinating um, subjects, just how the body works and um, looking at epigenics and genes being switched on and off. And now I'm just excited about looking at that with animals taking the work even further, using self-medication still, but looking at, uh, at that side of things. So, it's given me the opportunity to study more. So yeah, I'm, I'm really, really enjoying learning and studying and looking more into um, epigenics and uh, looking into, you know, everything. So, you know, just like, um, you know, the animal's got muscle wastage, looking at, um, you know, because essential oils aren't that great for muscle wastage, 
but something like um, glycerol is, you know, so when they're talking about fasting diets, if they want, you know, they recommend taking glycerol to stop muscle wastage opposed to burning fat. So it'd be quite interesting to see if there's a dog who's muscle, going through muscle wastage, would they select that? So it's sort of looking at all the other functionings of the body, really, and just looking at the whole package, um, still taking into self-selection. You know. um, uh, yeah, so anyway, I've, I've been researching and reading and studying and learning, uh, which will be in another course. Um, and I put a, applied a little bit to my last workshop, which I really enjoyed doing something a little bit different. Uh, and it worked very well. Um, but yeah, so I've also spent the time doing my um, online course as well, which is taking ages. I, I thought I'd finish it last year, but it's, it's, I'm still working on it. And I've written another little book, which is half esoteric and half scientific and half, and also well, quarter scientific, quarter esoteric and quarter educational. So it's, it's a really good um, formula to work from. It's sort of, uh, it's, it's all color-coded. So there's, there's basically voices, voices from the oils. So it's basically um, medicinal, uh, uh, voices from the oils on one side, so the bee, the plant. So it's almost like a little story, but in a paragraph. Then there's the more um, scientific research and my observational research summarized into a paragraph. So it's like a little pocketbook. And then it's color-coded. So you've got, um, you know, say that Yarrow does three main things. It works with behavior uh, for emotional release. It works urinary and wounds. So you've got three boxes up there, different colors. And then each box has its companions for that. So if you're working with behavior, then you're working with Rose. Generally, Yarrow will help with Rose. It will help take the animal deeper or Linden Blossom. It will take it deeper. Um, but if you're working, if the animal's selecting mainly wintergreen uh, or birch or you know, St. John's Walk, then he's obviously selecting remedies for pain. And if he selected Yarrow with that. So you've got your little group where Yarrow belongs. So if they're selecting Yarrow, then you can try which group to find out why they're selecting Yarrow. And then also sometimes, you know, say you're looking at stomach and there's, um, uh, this might be clearer. So you've got stomach and you've got peppermint and you've got fennel. Well, it might either be peppermint or fennel um, as the digestive or black pepper as the digestive stimulant. So you're offering all three to see what matches that individual the best. And it may be that they, two of those all support each other or one might replace the other. So you get that lock and key to getting the correct oil for that individual to uh, get them well as soon as possible. If that makes sense. And then that, those color codes will be put on the labels on the bottle. So it'd be split up a lot more so you can see respiratory. So yeah, so I'm trying to make it more educational so people can really understand it um, and have that balance of esoteric science and education all in a little pocketbook. So wow. I'm almost finished that. And um, yeah, so that's where I'm at. So, so yes, I've been doing that, but I've also been enjoying being a little bit of a homemaker as well. And I've been trying to make, I just, I have actually made my house very nice because it's, um, I, I just got left behind for years 
and it was so much fun um just yeah making it look nice and um and also yeah doing the course as well so yeah and how has it affected the business um it's it's shop's been really really busy uh so that's been really really good our biggest problem is brexit that's been a nightmare and everybody's now tightening up you know hazardous things that can be sent and it's getting so expensive with the post so that's a bit of a nightmare that it's just become it's become it's no longer a fun cottage industry that you can it's become very uh industrial maybe the word you know you've got to have yeah even on angelica now you know it's coming in you've got to have hazardous goods on a little bottle of angelica and all the labeling for for that and then you can only use a couple of couriers you know and then it, the insurance is so high if essential oils are, are you know on the plane because they come under hazardous goods so all of this new legislation seems to really be coming in um much more so than it ever was before and then trying to get you know just an example we sent some really big boxes of products over to france same things in two of the boxes. One was bigger than the other, both within the weight. One customs guy decides it can go through, no reason. The other one decides to send it back, no reason. Just decides it. And it's like, um, yeah, so it's, yeah, so yes, we've had a lot of that since Brexit. I think a lot of unhappy, happy people who just you know, send the stuff back. And I know I'm not alone um as a company with that so it is getting very um you know very very sort of industrialized the whole industry you know there's so much that you have to do now with the oils and um, so it's a huge job in itself um but it has been incredibly busy as well um so we've got a lovely girl who works for us and um is very good very efficient and as far as teaching goes um I've been doing lots of treatments actually. I've been treating elephants in Thailand and um, treating dogs, treating cats, you know. So, yeah, I've been doing loads of Zoom treatments, which I've really loved. So, I feel like I've been pretty busy between doing up the house, trying to write my course, uh, enjoying the deck chair last summer. Um, and yeah, so COVID lockdown's been. In a way, it's been sort of almost like being in a, a little nest, really, and getting things done. I feel sorry for, you know, people who've gone through awful hardships, and my heart definitely goes to them. But for me, it was just really nice to stop and reflect and, you know, see and educate myself uh, a little bit more on the subject I absolutely love. Well, you know, I, I've always believed that animals are like angels sent from heaven they're like guides you know to to teach us something on on this earth and it could be you know different reasons you know from the from the animals that we eat or you know fly by or we rescue and we try and help heal them sometimes you know they do pass on and i always feel that even in their passing we're meant to learn something mm -hmm. and i can't help but feel that you know, animals, the work that you do, it's almost like the animals are coming to you to help teach the world, you know, the beauty and what nature is. If we just, like you keep saying, if we, if there wasn't so much red tape, <laughs> you know. I know if, that's a shame. I think we're our own worst enemies. 
you know, with all these rules, and I call it bullshit rules, <coughs> you know, um, that I think human beings, we, especially in the industrialized age with all this commercial big pharma um, companies, yeah. it's, it's a lot to do with money and profit mm. than quality and actually helping, you know, humans or animals heal naturally. You know, yeah. it's always about money and something which I've, I've been trying to explain to people that you can take supplements. If they're whole food supplements, they're, you know, there'll be an efficacy there. But if you took supplements that are synthetic, because yeah. um, I, I didn't know anything because I came with zero knowledge and I learned, you know, the hard way because I wasn't a very healthy person. And I used to, you know, like they'll tell me take this, take that, and oh, buy these supplements from the the pharmacy and whatnot. But I realized like I would get a reaction, you know, um, even from the vitamin C tablets and and stuff like that. So, you know, I always thought that, oh, you know, it's like, am I am I cursed or something? Is my body so screwed up? And it wasn't until um, <coughs> I got really sick for a very long time, and then I I. A friend of mine took me to a, t- a traditional Chinese medicine, Chinese doctor, uh-huh. and uh, actually helped me kickstart my journey on healing my body and detoxing in a very, uh-huh. very long way. This is more than, I think, 20 or I don't know how many years ago. But um, I was I was very sick. I had brain fog. And, I mean, now I know what I had. I mean, in the sense that I had gynecological problems. I had. Um, digestive issues my gut brain was not talking so I had brain fog in the worst possible way so I was literally a stupid person you know um, and when I started to take TCM and and take the herbs and and food therapy in terms of you know like eating properly or better instead of ultra processed food which that was I was doing I used to smoke a lot and drink a lot as well uh, when I started to clean up my act um, suddenly one day I started to be able to think a little bit better. My mood sort of improved. My health started to, to go up instead of down and, and be stag- stagnant because I struggled with depression for, you know, very, very long time. I mean, I still manage it, you know, but it's this journey of healing, you know, mm-hmm. and, and getting better um, more than 20 years. And... I realized if we just listen to our bodies, if we just took things simpler times, you know, more natural. And what I love about how you do with animals and self-medication is, you know, you, you, you trust the animal to self-select, to heal. And if we learn from them, life will be so much better. But I also trusted my children and my babies. I worked <laughs> exactly the same way with them. Wow, really? Yeah, yeah. anyone yeah. who can't have a voice, it's the most amazing medium. So my, my passion is to have a voice for those that don't have a voice. So I have a voice for animals. So I, it goes even further. I am quite into um, animal welfare. So I'm very passionate about that. I just, my heart goes out to animals um, who are trapped and who don't have a voice and who can't escape. So I'm very passionate about um, animal welfare. And, but equally, um, 
it's this this way to work is is brilliant for when somebody can't communicate what they need and I I worked with my daughter as a baby with severe ear infections in a way that aromatherapists would have hung, dra hung, drawn and courted me for because I was so against the book that, hey, guess what? My daughter got better and she basically had ear infections and she was four months old and I was in California and they wanted to put her, well, they did put her on antibiotics, didn't work. I guess the oils didn't work, I just massaged her some. And then they put her more antibiotics, didn't work. So she wanted to put her, the pediatrician wanted to put her on um, um, steroids. And I thought, no, she's only six months old. Um, and, and she's been on antibiotics for about two months. So I got my husband and I did muscle testing because I didn't know how to work without muscle testing in those days in, it, in that uh, era. And um, anyway, she responded to rose, tea tree, and jamakama. So their oils speak to me. So rose says go on the body, yeah? So I put that in a massage oil and I massaged her little body with rose. Jamakama is an anti-inflammatory. It doesn't work so well when you mix it in a base oil. So I put a little bit behind her ear and you know if it's needed because it will just drink in. If it's not needed, it will stay in the ear. It's not irritating. And I put it on the outside of her ear and it just disappeared in seconds, the German camera. So she needed the anti-inflammatory, you know, just at the base of her ear. Uh, she soothed into a lovely sleep. And then I took her to the doctor at the end of the weekend. This was the Friday. Took her to the doctor on Monday, not the pediatrician, because I didn't want to get done for child abuse. And I had given her this sort of, you know, and more antibiotics. And so I said to the doctor, look, I'm going back to England. Can you check her ears? He said, they're pink and healthy. I said, how pink and healthy? He said, very pink and healthy. And so I called up the pediatrician and I said, well, actually, you know, because I didn't want to then get upset with me because I'm not re-booking in to go back. And I said, I've got the all clear from the doctor. And she was really upset, hung the phone up on me. I said, yeah, she suggests I use that doctor. Um, she did write a letter of apology. But Maddie never again had an earache, and she's now 28. My children have never been on medicinal, you know, any sort of pharmaceuticals at all. And they're, you know, one's in their 30s and the other's late 20s. So they've grown up with natural remedies, but I've always used self-selection with them. There was a time my daughter wanted to be like the other kids and have the Tylenol, you know, the, the pink sort of um, headache medicine. And it was like, oh, this is a bit boring having mum's um, natural remedies. But <laughs> she, she, she now really appreciates the fact that she grew up with natural remedies and and they're pretty healthy. So, um, yeah, and she never had an earache again. So I wondered if she would have been this victim of blue ear or, you know, ear infections if she had just kept taking antibiotics because they weren't working anyway. So, and then, um, yeah, I always felt pretty safe having the oils there just because I, I knew I had my safety net, you know, because I lived a bit in the middle of nowhere when I lived in horse country. So we were miles away from a doctor anyway. And when I say miles, about 40 minutes by car, but it felt a long way. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so no, it's, um, yeah, it's been a lifesaver. And, and also it's so amazing not having your hands tied, you know, my dog got bitten by a rattlesnake. 
you know, I could do something. I didn't have to sit and watch him die. You know, and that's the feedback I give so many people. You, you, you can do something, you can offer something and you can see if you can help them. And the bond, you know, if you look at my video on Tom that I've just put up on my consultation page or it's on my Facebook page, um, you know, she writes back and said the bond that she has with her dog is huge since she's been working with the Thuja, the lemon and the bergamot and, you know, where the tumors have reduced half in, to half their size in five weeks, just on inhalation, nothing by mouth. Wow. Amazing. And nothing touching his gums. Yeah, it's all an inhalation. Wow. So yeah, so it's 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 amazing. And when you when you know this knowledge, when you have it, then it's it's it would be it's my responsibility to let the world know. And people can take it or leave it really. You know, I, mean, I can't make people um, take it on board. Um, it's frustrating when you get people like the skep vet who will if people are sitting on the fence make them for the other side of the fence. The other thing is, uh, when you said about what hurdles, which is also frustrating, you know, when I got asked to speak at Hay Festival, which is a lot of fun as well, uh, which is a big literature festival in England. Um, and then I was asked to talk on BBC Radio, uh, Forethought was the channel. The amount of vets that called up and said, absolutely disgraceful that they had a non-vet talking about the subject, what why 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 not listen to how an animal heals itself you know if you're a vet wouldn't you want to know wouldn't you want to at least discuss or go into dialogue with me wouldn't you want to just you know the amount of vets who've been skeptical that i've called up uh to to try and um begin dialogue with them they they weren't they won't talk. And a scientist should talk. There should be discussion. The only way science can move forward is with discussion. Mm -hmm. And and you know, and go into a debate. I'm so happy to debate with anybody this work. Um, and, and yet they won't come forward and debate anything with me. And they will just run it down. And I think that is so unprofessional. And I think it's so unscientific. And I actually think shame on these people for having such a high standard, such as a skepfet, and um, putting out such bad press when he knows nothing about the subject and hasn't engaged in any dialogue with me. You know, shame on him, really. What can I do? You know, surely it's libelous, you know, but I just think I don't want to get involved in, you know, anything that's... Um, heavy duty really but I just thank God when, when you leave this world you realize how many animals you've probably harmed by you deterring people in the wrong direction um, you know be on your head what you're doing I think the animals have given me a voice into how to use the oils correctly because to be honest with you I'm exactly the same with people and animals so you know I don't need to have loads of animals in my house uh, people think I'm a real animal person. I wouldn't say I'm an animal person. And I wouldn't say I'm a person person. I'm an everybody person. Do you know what I mean? It's sort of, um, I have empathy for any individual that suffers, be it 
a pig, a dog, a baby, or a person who's trapped, you know, a person that can't escape. And my empathy is equal to all of those. Um, I had, you know, yes, I have loads of really good friends, love the good friend people, but yeah, I've taken advantage, I've, I've had my eyes closed with other people, yes, and I've sort of learned how to be strong uh, because I thought I really was, you know, other than my family, um, I was really, you know, nice and honourable. So, um, <clears throat> so yeah, I've seen, you know, I've seen the sort of doggy dog world since I've been doing this work, but at the same time, it's, it's, I wouldn't, a lot of people think that um, I'm an animal person, but I'm equally love babies. I adore babies and I, I love children and I love people and there's no different. When I look at a cow, I see a person. When I look at a dog, not all dogs, I see a person. So there's no difference. That's why I'm into animal welfare because I believe we're born in many different, um, I believe we're born in many different disguises and we have many different journeys. And that it, we might journey as a cow, a sheep, a dog, a pig, a human, and whatever our expression is and where we journey, we have to live under the rules of, you know, the uh, what we're born into, you know, and you know, a dog, you have certain criteria because that's in the DNA, uh, a horse, another criteria, a human, another. In a human, we have the greatest ability to um, <clears throat> show compassion and to help on the planet. Um, then we do a dog or um, an animal. Yeah, I, it breaks my heart when I see a farm animal. I, I can't barely walk past the cows that are never let out or hearing the sheep cry because they've been taken away from their mums uh, or hearing the cows cry um, because they've been taken away from their mums, you know, hence I'm vegan. Um, I don't like any cruelty to anyone. I, uh, I'm equally disturbed when I hear of you know, sex slaves, you know, poor girls coming over from Europe and, you know, they're shuffled off and locked into rooms, you know, that is awful. So I, my compassion is to everyone, everyone that suffers equally. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't need to live in a house with lots of cats. I have one dog. And after that one dog goes, I, I have her because I live in a, a house that suits her. Yeah, and suits the countryside and I can give her a good home because we have beautiful walks here and it's you know, quintessentially English cottage in the countryside. But um, after that, I, you know, because it's difficult getting her looked after, I probably won't have any animals because for a while so I can travel, I might, yeah, I'm looking at getting a place in the Peloponnese, I might spend <coughs> time in the Peloponnese writing, come back here, do teaching. I think the passion I have is that the oils are medicines and they're not used correctly and that people are using them incorrectly when you've got this incredible medicine and people have, you know, to be honest, a lot of the aromatherapists have, have, have put so much red tape on it that people have to now go to conventional medicine when we have the medicine that can heal us that works with us and so you know and, and with our bodies and with our chemistry and with our physiology so i'm i'm no more into animals than i am to people and no more into people than i am to animals 
they're all one. I've had you know, in, in my teenage years, I have fantastic friends at boarding school, best friends. I love people. And um, I love people who are nice. I don't like the ones who stab you in the back. Um, so, yeah. Um, so, no, yeah, a lot of people think I'm just an animal person. I'm not. And, yeah, I, I love animals, but not, you know, every animal is just like saying I love people. And, you know, there's some animals you warm to more than others. There's some people you warm to more than others. But I don't see a difference. That's the thing. You, see that, you know, oh, there's yeah. a there's a term for for a person like you in Asia culture, um, in the Buddhist tradition, is a bodhisattva. Yeah, I, I I've got a lot of Buddha philosophies, mm. in, yeah, and that's in California. I did study philosophy, and I'm very into philosophy, so I want to start writing about philosophy too. Yeah. So I'm very much into philosophy. Um, so really, I suppose. I mean, I don't mind if you tape any of this um, because it's really where I am now and I suppose since COVID it's taken me to uh, different levels of thought and that's why I needed to stand back and do things like you know, do my house up because you meditate when you're doing those sort of things mm. and uh, educate myself more in, in things and philosophy and um, and, and I, I, I would like to um, write a completely different book, which it will have the journey. It will have the journey of being trapped in Thailand <laughs> and actually an even bigger adventure that and unfolded from there. Um, and it will have a, it, it will be more encompassing of you know looking. It's like so many people I see, you know, they're really into dogs, yet they're eating the lamb, and I'm thinking, but the it's all the same. They suffer the same. They're the same sentience. You know, I've, I've got, I'm, I'm actually a member of the, uh, well, I get the scientific um, uh, sentience magazine, which Michael Hoffman sort of introduced me to. And, you know, there's you know, a lot of research that lambs have the same uh, visual intellect as primates. You know, they can recognize hundreds of different faces. They can find themselves out of mazes and it's only because they are so sweet and so kind that we walk over them so my new book is sort of I'm looking at evolution and I'm looking at how people behave and I'm thinking how you know evolution always picks on the weakest you know and the sheep are kind and weak and they really get a rough deal and people overlook them they're beautiful animals um, and I don't like seeing anything that's really farmed because you know would we like to see people farmed? No. Mm. So my compassion is, is even, you know, yes, there's one passion with the oils, which is all about, hey, guys, we got this medicine, and that can heal you if you use it right. But you've got to take all this red tape off. And then on the other hand, I've got this, what are you doing? You know, how can you be into one animal and not the other? And, you know, how can you just segregate one animal? And it's okay to adore that animal, but, you know, subject another to a lifetime of suffering. And the fact is a lot of people don't realize that, you know, animals that only give birth to one or two offspring have the same maternal bonds as we do, as elephants do, as dolphins do, because nature evolution has it that way, because that mother has to be really bonded to that individual to look after them for at least a year if not longer, uh, opposed to litter. The litter is what, you know, 
so many months and they can yeah, get pregnant and the energy is invested more in reproduction than in looking after the young. You take a cow away from its baby or a, a horse, a foal, or a sheep who only has one or two, you know, you're, you're, uh, you know, it's, it's responsible for so much horror and so much suffering the cruelty that is behind the doors of the abattoir is unthinkable. And if we don't like looking at the dogs being eaten in China and in the cages, then we shouldn't like anything else. And so my passion is truth. Look at the truth. Look at what you are doing and are you really okay with it? Don't think, oh, I don't want to talk about that because oh, I don't want to see that. Why not? You know, see it and make a change in the world. So that's my other passion. I very rarely talk about it because I don't want to ruin, uh, and that's why I rarely talk about my personal life, because I, I don't want to ruin the status of where I've got the oils to, because I it's just sort of getting that respect. Um, but yeah, there was a very tough journey getting there. And, um, and, and yet, my frustration is that people don't look, don't, don't, you know, and if they even say, oh, I don't eat meat much, just if I, if I feel I need it for health. No, it's not about you. It's about you stopping suffering. You know, it's like, you can get by, just, you can get some other vitamins, you know, you don't need it. You don't, and then people will talk about evolution. And this is what my book's going to be about. We don't have to follow evolution. And my whole book is going to be about divorcing from evolution, detaching from evolution. You know, evolution is cruel. There's, there's um, you know, evolution is magnificent. You know, look what it's designed. It's clever, it's intelligent, it's beautiful. Uh, and it's very much into procreation. That's his main interest. Zero compassion, zero. There is no compassion in evolution. And, and um, we, a lot of people behave in a very, and the cycle goes on, you know, the bacteria is competing with the, uh, what's it called, the fungus, you know, everything's always competing. And, um, <clears throat> uh, you know, we're competing with each other. It's all survival of the fittest. You know, we do it in business, you know, stab people in the back, desperate to be the one to get there first, to be the strongest, you know. Uh, people go, you know, they're looking at, at their mate, you know, what she looked like, you know, not what she like, what she looked like, you know, or what does he do, not what does he like. You know, it's all about survival. And so my uh, idea of enlightenment is detachment, to detach from evolution. So you, you don't have to keep coming back here. Of course, evolution is going to have medicines uh, because it wants people to plant medicines, because it wants people to procreate. This evolution wants you to be here. And then um, I think for as long as the soul is attached to the physical things of this earth, they will keep coming back. But as soon as you don't play the game of evolution, then you disappear, then you don't have to come back. So that is my book. It's going to look into philosophy. It's going to look into, um, it's going to look into truth, you know, to, for people find the truth. If you find the truth, then um, that is the best thing you can do is to be a truth seeker. 
and don't turn your back. And, and I look at that with the oils, you know, don't get caught up in all this red tape. Look at the truth. Look what can be done. You know, don't get caught up what people say on the web, website. You know, where's all the dead cats from essential oils? Can you find it? No, because it this doesn't hasn't happened. You know, maybe they've got a bad reaction because somebody's put tea tree on their back. So look into that. You know, but that's because it's not self-selection. Somebody has dosed the overdosed the cat. So reminding the cat is selecting itself, then they're not going to overdose. So, you know, everybody is so, you know, just, you know, listening to the internet, not thinking um, <clears throat> of, of, you know, of really what is the truth and just, you know, taking it as an absolute and, you know, not, look, not finding out what really did happen, how much tea tree was put on that cat, <clears throat> how many days, you know, did the cat lick it off because it's a poison if it's not needed, you know, so... Don't blanket all the oils under the same brush. So I suppose the real me, and I'm quite happy for you to do any of this interview and cut the other, because the other was probably more the old me. Um, this is more the me that has probably morphed um, into every day of my life, I think, on philosophy. And I, I, I spend a lot of time thinking and watching. And so it's not only you know, looking at human behavior and you know, how they respect, how they respond to different things um, and how they can only just sometimes, it's fine, you know, if they are just into one animal, I guess at least they're helping the animal. But they need to at some point branch out and realise that the others cry and they scream. Yeah, I hear cows scream when their babies are taken away. It breaks my heart. And, yeah, you know, it. it so it's not because... It's not just putting them under a bracket of animal. It's bringing, it's, it's the bracket is all of us together. I don't segregate. Does that make sense? I don't yeah. segregate people and animals. You, you are looking at unity. I mean, there's this term unity or, you know, universal oneness. Yeah. And what, what, I, what I find what you're talking about is very fascinating for me because I've been on a spiritual path myself and thinking a lot and not not that I'm trying to compare my life with your path and my path but um, I see a little bit of similarities in a, in your story with mine in, in you know not not the not the drama not not I don't have children I'm not married uh, well, I never married a handsome <laughs> surfer I never married a handsome surfer that's all I can say you know um, but I mean like my parents uh came from humble backgrounds but they became successful like yeah. you know and and my father could send me to England to study so I went yeah. to boarding school in England I don't really share oh. that with a lot of people <laughs> which one did you go to uh Rodine in Brighton uh, I know Rodine yeah so, so which one did you go to <laughs> um, and that day I don't know if it stood around then because it's close now but because the house and I used to play hockey against Rodine okay <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so, all right, so you in, you in South uh, Sussex area, I mean, well. Yeah, yeah, Bex and Mm. Okay. How, yeah. old How old are you? Uh, I am, people ask me this question and I pause. I, Just I, think, I, 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 I think I'm 47. I was born in 1974. Okay, so the people I know would, yeah, you wouldn't have known them. So, um, yeah. 
you're so, you're in your 60s now 61 61 okay yeah yeah so definitely we were in different generations but exactly. Exactly. but very you're, cold. Your, your, your sports pictures my legs would be freezing <laughs> <laughs> there's such a wind would come off the cliff uh yeah brighton yeah rodine was a uh, a very windy school I remember I almost got blown off because I would walk um, like from Lawrence house when I was in sixth form to, yeah. the, to the main building and it's a walk. And once yeah. you pass the hedge and, yeah. and I'm, a, I'm like about five foot, I'm like a yeah. hobbit, I'm a hobbit. And I remember trying to carry my books and my files and I literally got blown off. And everything flew off and down oh, the nice. snow. And, you know, it was just one of those very surreal moments when I went, what the hell is going on? You know, it, it was like one of those, oh man, cartoon motions where you actually see yeah. a person moving, you know, mm -hmm. and I used to have to cling onto the bigger girls, yeah. you know. Uh, but even then, they would get pushed off, you know, because the winds were really, really strong. Yeah. And... I, I, I spent a uh, sixth form in Rodin. So there was two years there. Uh, and after that, I, well, I wasn't a very good student. I had problems with studying because um, I just had family problems and they affected me in a very bad way. Um, so I, I had difficulty studying. So um, I didn't do well my A-levels. Um, mm -hmm. I think I got a B. I think I got a B for... From ancient history I, I studied ancient history but I didn't really study in ancient history that's the thing I didn't study for it I I enjoyed it I'm just yeah. one of those students that I cannot be forced to do something if you force me to study I will not study you know I, I, I'm a very difficult child let me put it I was a very difficult child so ancient history I I enjoyed I love reading I love Roman history I like Greeks I mean like you know give me a broken stone and rubble that I, I'm in my happy place you yeah. know um, I think if if I if no one forced me I would probably have been an archaeologist or something like that you know I just I just yeah I, I just love adventure and exploring and you know uh, a very wondrous life I think that's me mm -hmm. if, 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 if I had my way uh, unfortunately, I didn't have my way, so I was extremely screwed up, rebellious. I was very repressed. I had a lot of repressed anger as well with my family. Um, so I didn't do well, but I went to SOAS. Um, I don't know if you know SOAS, School of Oriental and African Studies in London um, mm -hmm. to do history. But then because I had I struggled with depression, mm -hmm. uh, so I never I was a university dropout. Mm -hmm. And I, from history, I, um, I was studying East Asian history, but then because of my, my mental illness, I just couldn't do it. Mm -hmm. And then I wanted to do art. So I didn't tell my father, I actually secretly enrolled at Central St. Martin's to do a mm -hmm. foundation course. I actually mm -hmm. got in, which was quite amazing because I didn't think I would get in. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, I got accepted for foundation um course at, at Central St. Martin's and then I went back to Singapore to tell my dad I was prepared to get disowned um, but I think it was the first time he actually saw me do something like this that he went okay um, 
if this is what you really want to do, okay. You know, because he was off, he's a very um, chauvinistic man, very mm-hmm. old school. Um, mm-hmm. He's a barrister. He studied, he, he trained as a barrister in England. Yeah, okay. And, you know, so he's a lawyer in Singapore and um, they do barrister advocates and solicitors, the, the same thing. Yeah. Um, and he always was, have the impression that either I'd be a lawyer, which I didn't want to be. I purposely screwed up the interview at, was it, I can't remember which university it was. I think it was Oxford Brooks or something. Because he desperately wanted me to be a lawyer to take over the law firm or whatever, right? And I went to the interview and I told the, I told the interview, I said, um, I don't mean to be disrespectful, but I'm here against my will. <laughs> <laughs> so I sabotaged my own interview. <laughs> very bad thing I and I never told my father this you know um, I, I just made him think that you know I didn't pass you know because yeah. I really didn't want to be a lawyer because in my head uh, my father he's a complicated man I would say he loves me in his own way but I would say he his moral compass it was a bit off <laughs> uh, you know uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I just had this impression that if I became a lawyer, I'm going to end up like him. So I didn't want to end up like him. Mm. Um, very, yeah. You know, just, yeah. I, I, I had a very, very, yeah, very complicated relationship with my parents. And so I went to Camberwell College, which is another art college after my mm-hmm. foundation year to do, um, it's almost like fine arts graphic design kind of thing arty farty kind of stuff which I really yeah. enjoyed uh, and then I was doing well but then I injured my back uh-huh. when I was in Singapore and I started to develop gynecological problems and you know your gut brain axis uh, that's mm-hmm. where I really screwed up because I was also working part-time as a student in Singapore and in, in, in London with the same company uh, it was like a lifestyle art consultancy thing. And so a lot of smoking and drinking and entertaining guests, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a very unhealthy lifestyle. It was a very materialistic lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Uh, very expensive lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And I think I was just a very unhappy person just yeah. living that lifestyle. And I think it, my body was just reacting to my unhappiness as well. And obviously, I disrespected my body physically. So my body physically broke down. And I, I, I had such severe depression that I basically dropped out of school um, mm-hmm. because of my back. I injured my back very badly. So I think it's six, seven, eight kind of thing. My disc all, you know. Mm-hmm. And for many, many years, I, I couldn't work. I couldn't do anything. Uh, like I said, I was a zombie, you know, literally, a, you know, an idiot kind of person. Even reading was difficult for me, you mm. know. Um, but when I started to do TCM, traditional Chinese medicine, and start the process of healing, and I started to journal, I started mm. to, to read a bit more. Um, and then I started to go especially in the last couple of years and COVID last year, I love COVID. I know some people don't like COVID, but I am so grateful for COVID because it gave me the, the chance to really look into myself yeah. and, and study. That's what you I know, did. You know, yeah. um, but uh, a similar path for yours is that, well, I actually walked away from my father 
and my mother, my parents are divorced. They are both successful in their own ways. It's mm-hmm. just that they're both, number one, I don't think they should ever have gotten married. You know, some people shouldn't get married and have children. That's all I can say. <laughs> you know, they, they don't have that. Yeah, it's just very bad for the, the offsprings. And um, my, I walked away from that, that lifestyle, mm-hmm. um, that link of money, because my parents did try to use money as a controlling factor as well for me. So, that sounds quite similar, doesn't it? Yeah, that's why I said when, when you were sharing your story, I just had, Oh my goodness, what is going on here? You know, um, but I. Yeah, mine, was, mine was very controlling as well. And, and uh, well, I wasn't homeless to the sense with like you and kids, you know, in the shelter, but uh, basically. Oh, I, didn't, I, didn't, I, I just avoided the shelter, just. Yeah. And I found, yeah, that's when I found Hay on White. <laughs> and I could find a, a non expensive house that was lots of character, made of stone. And uh, actually, yeah. there's another story there, but hey. Um, yeah, so for me, I I was blessed in the sense that I could move out even though I couldn't work, but I had um, a friend, you know, yeah. and and she was compassionate and kind like you in that sense, you know, like very just kind, you know, real pure kindness, you know, not mm-hmm. expecting anything and, and basically took me in. So she became like the, the sister I never had. Yeah. <laughs> You know, like the family that I wish I had but didn't grow up with. Tell me about it. You know, uh, not, yeah. So I, I, I grew up with a lot of insecurity without a lot of, yeah, it was just a very difficult childhood I had. Um, no love, no security. My parents divorced when I was very young, you know. Yeah. Uh, my father just used money to control me, you know. Uh, my mom, she... Is the type she's very successful, but she's not made of mother material. She's not mat- yeah. she's, she's not maternal. No, no. She if she was born a man, I should be a very successful man. You know, <laughs> really, really. But you know, um, you know. So are you are you uh, Singapore or origin? Is that where you're? Yes. From? So yeah. I was born. I'm a first generation born Singaporean. My parents yeah. were born in Malaysia which is okay. just above Singapore. Yep, Singapore's yep. a tiny dot. And my parents, after they, they went to England and did different paths, but they went to England to study at some point and they came back to this part of the world. Uh, and, my, and they actually decided to, use, to move to Singapore to start their career. They got married, they, you know. Um, and my brother and I were born, my younger brother and I were born. Um, but... Yeah, so born here, but grew up in a very Western household because mm-hmm. my parents couldn't speak Mandarin. They only right. spoke English because mm-hmm. they, they grew up... My, my mother's born in 1941, so my mom's like 80. Yeah, mm-hmm. my, my parents are like in their 80s, like late 70s, 80s now. And, right. and basically, they grew up in the, uh, at the point in time where, you know, the Commonwealth <laughs> was very strong. <laughs> Yeah. And if they were taught that if you want to be successful, you must speak the Queen's English. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or you're not going to go anywhere. You're not going to go far. Yeah. You know, especially yeah. being an Asian, you know, yeah. and because they went to England to study uh, my mom on a scholarship. My father, his family sort of paid for him to get there, you know, to go to the bar. Um, so they 
they worked really, really hard. And I guess because they were <laughs> pioneers coming back in those days, in I think in the 60s, you know, 60s, yeah. 70s, that's when, you know, it's really um, the opportunity for economic growth was there. And there was, like you said, no red tape. <laughs> Very little red tape. So exactly. things could things could happen, you know, um, which is very different from the Singapore today, which is a lot of red tape, mm-hmm. um, you know, but I chose to walk away from my family because um, I didn't want to be controlled by them. I didn't want to play by their rules and, 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 and live under them because <coughs> I was just extremely unhappy. So mm-hmm. it took me a very, very long, more than 20 years. I think I'm 47. So my entire life to, to try and unfuck myself is I, if I could use that word here, please, you know, yeah. uh, you know, just, just to undo the, the damage that, you know, yes, they did it to me, but in a way I have to thank them when I look back now, if mm-hmm. I didn't have them and go through all that mm-hmm. crap, I wouldn't be at the stage that I am in life now where yeah. I'm in a very spiritual way I, I don't know how to explain it you know maybe you can understand it in a way yeah I, I do I know what you're saying you know if it, it wasn't for all that crap and and nonsense and yeah I and I'm still working on myself I'm not healed I'm not perfect I'm not 100% but I'm a work in progress shall I say yeah. Yeah. you know um and but I think it's a journey it's yeah. it really is, yeah it's a journey and just when you think I mean, I remember thinking before I left California and coming over here, I just thought, yeah, yeah, I could have a while. I think I can figure out the spiritual, you know, I understand everything. And then I suppose coming into lots of debates with my son, because he is very much into debating, boarding schools out of attitude. Yeah, he did go from, I did, he did end up in boarding school um, from the state school I put him in. And, uh, but I think it was good for him. And, um, <clears throat> But he's, um, uh, yeah, so, you know, it would make me think. I love it. I love sort of debating with him because then I've, yeah, it would blow my theories. I think it's intellectual stimulation. You know what I like? What You know what I like, and I think what you like as well, is when you have a very open, open, honest conversation and dialogue with someone. You know, you don't have to agree 100%. You know, no. you can agree to disagree, but there is a, a level of respect and, and just willing to listen to both sides. And, and then you yeah. take it back and, and you sort of digest it and, and, and you sort of, you know, like think about it, like, hmm, is there a point there? Or, mm. you know, and you take a seed that maybe you're thinking, no, 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 no. But actually you think, okay, maybe. And then you put that seed of thought into your pot. And I think, actually, maybe I think, yeah, he's got something there. Yeah. Um, and then it sort of begins to shape a different thought process. And then I, you know, for me in that case, I'm thinking, God, I know nothing. Yeah, I know nothing about spirituality. You know, I thought I had it all totally sewn up and I just knew the whole thing. So I spent ages, you know, really <coughs> got a script. <coughs> I think I've been talking <coughs> too much. <coughs> and then I took, um, yeah. <coughs> Our annoying throat. Um, yeah, and then and then I began to sort of look, yeah, into really just looking at evolution and how cruel it is. And, you know, that actually, does God really exist here? 
because really, could anyone have made something so horrible? And when people go on about lessons, you know, and they say, oh, you know, being all spiritual, I say, well, it's a lesson, you've got to get through it. <coughs> well, I understand that mine was a lesson <coughs> to learn. Fine, fair enough, when you're on a spiritual journey. Those are sensible lessons. But um, when you hear of that elephant being taken from its mom and it's screaming and crying and it's prodded day in and day out so it can be ridden on. When you hear of the Indian woman who gets raped by four men in front of her daughter and then thrown off a train, that's not a lesson. That's total and utter cruelty. You know, there's a lesson and there's a lesson. What I went through was a lesson. <clears throat> Your journey sounds like a lesson too. But there's things that go beyond lessons. That, mm. <coughs> you know, to put a bear in a cage or its life <coughs> so it can barely move and its teeth are worn down. <coughs> you know, really? Um, <coughs> oh, sorry. Um, <coughs> oh, my throat. Um, you know, the... the the horror that some people have had to go through, you know, when a, when a, I'm okay. Um, and then when a, a sheep rolls on its back, you know, and birds peck its eyes out, really? You know, is that because, you know, that's what crows do. Where's the lesson in that? You know, it's, it's too much, uh, it's too um, filled with horror that I, I don't see the lesson. Have you, no have you heard of this um, Indian, guru called Sadhguru. Mm -hmm. Have you heard of this man, Sadhguru? He, he, he's a uh, spiritual teacher in India and he's quite a big deal over there. And he just uh, recently published a book called Karma. Mm -hmm. And he, and he did another book called Inner Engineering as well. And he talks about being, um, you are responsible for your own spiritual uh, path, you know, and he talks about karma in a very interesting way where, you know, you, you, you're mentioning about, you know, um, the cruelty, the, the suffering of these animals. And he does talk about what is karma from a, a, a yogi perspective, from, from his point of view. And it's, it's quite interesting. I don't know if you would be interested in reading his book, um, you know, to, to, to just, yeah, because I just on something. Yeah, I sort of, yeah, I know with karma and, you know, but I think of the, you know, all the, you know, refugee camps, you know, God, it must be horrible living in those refugee camps, you know, mm. just imagine you've got kids there, you know, my story is, you know, God, I'm in heaven compared with, um, you know, you've got sick children, you've got, you know, you've got these public news and it's just unimaginable um, how they must be living. And yeah, that could be karma, but <coughs> why put people through <coughs> such horrible, such horrible lessons? You know, I wouldn't teach my children through such cruelty. I would give them a night, a, a little bit of a better lesson mm -hmm. um, you know to work for a five-year-old girl to watch her mother be raped by four different men and then thrown off the train 
you know, it's like, it just seems like it's out of hand if it is karma. It's, it's too, it's, it really will mess that individual up. <coughs> and, um, and sometimes you see the most beautiful people, you know, who seem to have the most difficult lives. Mm-hmm. And you can see the most annoying people who have their easy lives, who they just don't feel like there's a spiritual bone in their body. Um, so yeah yeah there may be karma but it's pretty cruel it's it's Mm, but his take on karma is not your um i would say it's not the mainstream western uh view on karma it's 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 slightly different i have to reread his book a couple more times because i'm still digesting what he's saying such um s-a-d h you uh no h g u r u g u r u i i can send you the link satguru and 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 you can check him out because he's he's quite different from some other uh, spiritual teachers um because he talks about a lot to do with you are in charge of your life you you know what how you make of it even your spiritual growth and I'm I'm not I'm I'm still digesting it, so I'm not good at articulating it and, and, and sharing it with you. But it's it's something that you because because you have an interest in this, you know, um, you might be interested in just listening to his point of view to see how you how you know what how you feel about it, you know. Yeah. And what I and again, what I love about you is that you know you you're actually a very sensitive soul. Hmm. You really are, you know, you, you, you have a, a real gentleness and, and that universal love that you carry with you. It's, you but know, it's very a, rare. There's a lion, a lion in there too. Oh, definitely. To, 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 get, to get where you are today, to overcome all the challenges that you've had, you know, yeah. you, you must be made of steel. And I think in that sense, you know, if it wasn't for your, your 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 parents, maybe you wouldn't have that steel in you. Yeah, maybe. You know? Maybe. I might have taken it easy, you know, I might have sort of, because I didn't want to, I was too shy to, you know, to lecture. So, but I thought, no, Karen, it's being really selfish. You know, I'm thinking of me, you know, are you, Karen, no, you've got to get out there and you've got to, you've got, you know, it's not about me. It's about telling people how to help their animals. So, um <clears throat> Yeah, so I don't know. It's I think I, I valued friendships a lot because of it. Mm. I think uh, yeah, at school my friends were like my sisters, and friendships meant a lot to me. And so the friendships I developed in my life were really, really deep and meaningful. And then I think when I just spent my whole life working because I gave up all my friends, I gave up everything for this. And um, and I, I think I became, I was much too familiar with students or, you know, and I'd get confused and because I, I think everybody was nice. And that is, you know, and so that, so you put yourself in a vulnerable situation because I was naive, because I had developed such good friendships mm. that um, it was, um, you know, just like Martin was saying, you know, wow, you know, he's just way too friendly to these people. And, um, 
And I found it really difficult to be any other way. And I thought, I don't know, you know, I try not to be friendly, but I couldn't, you know. And then I just thought, you know, people want to use that to sort of stab you in the back. I thought maybe it's best I just remove myself from a from putting myself in those situations mm. and uh, just find a slightly different path because mm. I can't change who I am. I can't suddenly not be friendly. Yeah. <clears throat> I'm not friendly if somebody's um, um, annoying or, you know, <laughs> or if they're not being very nice. Yeah, yeah that's fine. Um, oh, I, no, I understand. I, I mean that's why listening listening to your to your story and your journey it, you know I, I I I just couldn't help but think like oh we might have some parallels like because I've got my family issues and I really did walk away I you know I, I even like today you know I'm still finding my way you know mm. um but I've been very blessed somehow by the universe that um I'm able to have a home at least. It's not a fancy home. You know, I live in a government housing, which is most very common actually. But I've got, you know, I'm, I've got animals to care for and good friends. You know, most of my friends are actually, um, ironically, the really good ones are from boarding school days. <laughs> really? Yeah. From, and they're not even Singaporeans. Uh, one is, she's um, from Thailand and she's got a British passport you know, and she's living in the US, you know, um, working in Silicon Valley now. Um, the other one is Malaysian, Malay. She's, um, you know, I don't see her because, you know, she's a lawyer, but, and she's got family and because of COVID, we can't even travel. Yeah. But, you know, it's it's very strange. The, 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 the friendships that I made in boarding school, like the really close ones, and there's not a lot. I only have like a, two or three. <coughs> you know um, that I can say that even if I have not seen them for years or talked to them for years, the bond is still there that we can pick up, and there is this very deep level of trust. It is, and I think it's inbuilt. You know, when you've developed those friendships at school, yeah, it's so difficult to to change. And I think because they are probably my oldest friends, because yeah. they've known me since boarding school you know when I was a teenager and that's my most vulnerable past if you want to say it you know you know that's as far back you share and and they've seen you in all your nonsense crap (laughs) you know uh and and but now like today um even being back in Singapore I mean like yeah I, I have friends here but I'm very careful with with them because I used to be very naive. I'm still actually quite naive. And, you know, I've been uh, too trusting, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I've been taken advantage of by, by people as well. So mm-hmm. I, I'm just very cautious with, who, you know, who, what I share. I'll still share, but, you know, like mm-hmm. if I were to let you into my inner <laughs> circle, yeah. very hard, you know, yeah. very, very hard. Do you think I've said anything on this interview that might weaken my my profile, or do you think it's okay? To be honest, I'm a huge fan of yours. <laughs> if anything, yeah. this this interview has give has shown a dimension, a, yes, a private side of you that you've not shared. I think, yeah. uh, which I'm again very honored that you've done it here with me. Um, but I think you would have a lot of respect from from 
your peers and your followers, hmm. you know, because if there's one thing I've learned interviewing people, and I'm not a, I'm not a professional interviewer, okay? Um, <laughs> you did pretty well because it's really difficult interviewing people. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Thank you, but no, you did most of the talking. I did not. You know, I didn't really ask you a lot of questions, but I've I found that when you are willing to share mm-hmm. and open yourself up the way you did, mm-hmm. it it shows a level of confidence okay, cool. to people that say that, yes, this is me, this is my past, and I'm sharing it with you now. I'm being vulnerable. It's not the British thing that I know <laughs> of, okay? Because my parents and me, I grew up in a very conservative household, all right? It's very English. And definitely you sharing maybe with uh, certain parts of society, you might be horrified you know, that, oh my God, why is she talking about all these things? You know, you shouldn't talk about these things. And I'm in a way, I'm glad my mom doesn't know I'm a podcaster. <laughs> my parents don't know that I do this, you know. But um, honestly, I think um, people who follow your work mm-hmm. would have a greater respect for you. Because hmm. I know I do. Okay. And okay. it makes me, if, if I may, you know, sound really like corny but i do love you even more now i <laughs> really i mean the, you inspire me and i believe that you inspire a lot of people who listen in who were drawn to this you know um and your work because a lot of people they they sort of hear oh you know oh caroline ingram wow you know she's this super lady who's done all this work and like a pioneer and they just think that i mean like honestly before this interview i thought you were just a yes a workaholic and you just you know pom 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 you know churn out work after work after work and you're just you know uh, you know you're an amazing lady of animals but you're just work you know yeah yeah, yeah. interesting interesting but having, and again, that's why I say the universe has done something really amazing to today mm. for, for mm. us to meet and have this conversation mm. because mm. it has, if one thing, it has inspired me even more in my own personal journey because mm. I can tell you, I, I'm at a crossroads right now where, you know, I have no fucking clue what I'm doing sometimes, yeah. honestly. But I know it's, it's something that is not normal. It's not conventional. It's not, you know, it's not your typical nine to five kind of job person. Yeah. And there's a, I don't even know what's the word I'm looking for. It's almost like it's spiritual growth, it's self-development. But at the same time, I want to help people who are helping animals. Yeah. And I'm coming towards a path where, I don't know if you, if you understand this term, like, Conscious caregiving. Yeah. All right. That is something that it's I'm working on in my head. You know, it's like conscious pet parenting, conscious yeah. caregiving. And I want to teach caregivers, animal caregivers, you know, guardians, yeah. how how to be a better human being. Yeah. So that they can help yeah. the animals in a better way. Yeah in a more ethical way, in, you know, in yes. a more self-aware way. I, I don't know if it makes sense to you, you know. Uh... It does. And I think, you know, one thing my son said to me when he was a lot younger, 
He said, Mom, it doesn't really matter how much you've helped an animal or not. The most important thing is, is your intention. Mm -hmm. The intention to help <clears throat> is more important than anything else. Correct. And I thought, yeah, that's quite wise. Yeah. And it's, it's true, you know, that so whatever your intention is, yeah, your intention, which was like mine when I said that prayer, whatever it was, was to work for the will of the good. I didn't know what work they were going to put in front of me. Instead, you know, I got this, you know, like, oh my God, what's happened to my life? Well, like, <laughs> yeah, you know, and I, I don't know if you heard of this um, community called Mind Valley. I don't know if you heard of them. It's a uh, closed community online where they basically it's a self-education program. It's like an mm -hmm. online school. And they talk about a lot of the woo-woo stuff, the esoteric, but also about science and, and basically self-actualization of mm -hmm. the human body, spirit, and mind. So it's mm -hmm. like, like, you know, the overall, you know, yeah. and I have, and I'm a member of Mind Valley. Uh, it's a paid membership. It's a closed community. They, it's not open to the public, but you can take the courses and stuff, you know, yeah. but the idea is that we believe in, humanity in uh, unity yeah. you know we're all one is and i use the word and energy we're all made of energy vibrations yeah. you know yeah. animals and humans and that we have a higher purpose in life yeah. you know and 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 i think one of the sentences that i like first for myself is that you know we're all spiritual beings here living an earthly experience mm -hmm. and yeah. it really is up to you what kind of experience that you are creating for yourself because at the end of the day and this is this is something that um mind valley students um or you know we all believe is that you are responsible for yeah. what happens to yourself what you create what you serve what you think your what you say you know mm -hmm. um you have to be careful because you are manifested mm -hmm you know, yeah. and, and your intention. And that's why the word conscious caregiving, being a conscious human being, intentional yeah. living, you know, being, and that is something that I, I aspire to become. Yeah. That I want yeah. to be a, a better human being. And I know I'm flawed. I'm a work in progress, you know, but somehow with my love for rescue and animals, Mm -hmm. I it's like almost I'm seeing something coming together with my passions you know my interests and that is really like I it's like I want to teach people how to be a conscious human being and be a caregiver for animals because yeah. I feel that honestly um, most rescuers that I've met and I know are all screwed up <laughs> They all have <laughs> mental issues that they're not dealing with. Mm -hmm. They're using rescue work as a crutch. Mm -hmm. And sometimes their ego leads them to actually harm the animal then instead yeah, of helping them. I call them wounded healers. Mm. Yeah. That's a very good phrase, you know. Yeah. Um, and they need to be needed and they need to be loved. Yes. And unfortunately, I think human beings today... Um, we don't know self-care. We don't know how to love ourselves. Uh, you know, we are so caught up in 
the red tape, as you like to call it. Yeah. You know, the lies that's created by big pharma, by, you know, commercial industry, uh, yeah. you know, and, and, you know, even like I have my views on the vaccination for COVID as well. I don't even call it vaccination. You know, I just call it DNA manipulation. It's just an injection of something that, you know, yeah. So, you know, I just feel that my path is still not fully formed yet. But the more mm-hmm. I study and think and reflect and learn, it's like, you know, it's like I'm merging somehow what I love, mm-hmm. you know, my self-study plus my animals. And, you know, when I see when I see adopters, when I see rescuers, you know, how screwed up they are. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. It's amazing. And I, I love this conversation we've had today. Um, you know, I'm, I, I don't know if you realized it, but we've actually done more than three hours, I think. I, my partner keeps walking fast thinking, <laughs> So um, again, that's why I'm very grateful that you were so willing to share your time because I know how, how long a day you've had and you said you've been very tired and talking so much to me, you know. And yeah. that's why I am very, very grateful that you actually chose to speak to me and share so much, you know. Well, I hope it made sense and I didn't, you know, just being a bit tired, I hope I was uh, able to articulate what I was trying to did, say. How did you, I mean, like, uh, just turning the question back, how did you find this interview? Yeah, no, at, at first, you know, because it's not one that I normally do, you know, going back into my, first of all, I thought, yeah, I did think my first thoughts were, yeah, good on you, that, you know, you're looking behind the scenes. And then um, I thought, yeah, that's going to be quite fun, actually, um, because nobody really knows my backstory. But then I, I realised that I wasn't really that, because I haven't really spoken about it that much, I really felt I didn't feel very versed in being able to, yeah, maybe second time round, I could, consolidated to be um to express much more what I'm trying to say or I might have maybe put things in a little bit differently like if you had said you know what's your main passion or you know it's but because I feel quite tired as well then you know it's just sort of the first thing that comes into my mind whereas I suppose going towards the end of the tape end of the interview I managed to sort of find things to sort of channel into just sort of saying yeah you know what my passion is which is really to speak the truth about the oils and through animals I have a voice and uh, to tell people how they can help themselves, the animals and um, their children. So it's more encompassing all. And, but uh, my frustration is, is that the oils aren't used, being used to, the, to, um, to achieve you know, their best possible outcomes. So I would have worded it more like that. Um, if I had, you know, once I warmed up into it, so I felt, I felt a little bit sort of um, um, green, I suppose, because I, you know, I hadn't really sort of gone back. But also, what was quite interesting was sort of going back and really sort of seeing, you know, that was one journey. But now, really, after lockdown, it's sort of morphing into um, a new journey where I want to. Um, I suppose it's um, 
uh, yeah, looking into philosophy, looking into writing other books that are uh, also meaningful and also will help animals too, but in a different way. But um, it's sort of jugg juggling the two. Um, so my plan is we've found a really lovely house in the Peloponnese, which is beautiful. So we're going to see it in August. Whether we get it, because there's two people who want it, and I think it's, you know, it's gorgeous. And you can just sit under the table of grapes above you and look at the ocean and pine forest behind me, the ocean in front. It's a beautiful place to write. And I can still, because it's got internet, I can still do interviews. So I think, you know, if I me, I'd love to go there and do some, just the quietness and just really be able to write um, something really inspirational and to give, um, yeah, sort of the journey, the adventure, you know, the, um, that you can do it. You know, if you believe in something enough, you can create it. If I can do it, then somebody else can as well. Um, but I think it was born out of this commitment to helping the wheel of the good. And then from there, um, something I rode on the crest of the wave that was full of synchronicity that, you know, took me to places I could never have imagined. You know, it's mainly any zoologists who get to work with elephants. Oh, I got it. You know, it's, it's sort of, you know, I've been to places that I just think, wow, you know, and teaching vets at zoos and, um, <clears throat> and it has been, um, yeah, it's so I suppose in, in the talk, you kind of, I sort of went full circle back to really what I'm, where I'm going now really, which is a bit of the two worlds. I want to have one foot in, always keep a foot in this world. That's what I'm trying to keep, get all my courses done. So people, I want to give everybody every single bit of information I have. <laughs> I keep learning new things. So, so I think if I can just get all this information out, which is where I, I've sort of been to now, and then I can work on the new information, which I find incredibly exciting as well. But also, I'm passionate about writing my book, which is probably a bit more philosophical, inspirational, with adventure, with synchronicity. Um, so I kind of sort of sort of morphed into somebody then when I was talking to sort of then when I came to the end of my journey, it's probably who I am now. Um, so um, where I'm going, so to speak, does that make sense? So it was a really different, as well, everything that I'm really loving, um, but I felt I, I needed more experience speaking about it. Well, you know, that's why I think, this is what I love about, um, I call this long form interviews because they're mm -hmm. longer than you would think because most people think half an hour one hour the max usually for a, a regular interview especially if you're talking about your professional work if yeah. it's if it's a you know a professional work interview about the work that you do is usually yeah. maybe like 45 minutes kind of thing but because what my my passion is to know the person behind the story behind the, the face of the company because yeah. i i am interested i love stories I'm a story junkie and I, was, <laughs> and I love and I want to understand what drives you, what inspires you, you know, and to see behind the mask, mm -hmm. the facade that we all have. And, yeah. 
and I found that the really good interviews, and it's not because I'm a good interviewer, really it's not. It's because people like you, the guests, mm-hmm. you, when you go through the conversation with me and you go through the journey of your life, you actually live mm-hmm. through that, trans- you actually transform. I don't know if you realize that, you know, you, you go through a mini transformation in your own journey as you're, articulating it and sharing with it because then you then you see different things that you never actually realized mm-hmm. you know and and for me as the observer it's very inspiring okay cool because then we see the real caroline ingram you know it's 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 really showing everyone that hey you're a normal human being with normal <laughs> problems. You had so much crap, you know, happen to you, but yet you still had that that faith, that yeah. that positivity, that love, that compassion, that empathy, you know, yeah. to serve and for a higher purpose. Yeah. And to me, that is truly the message that I would love people to hear is that when you have a higher purpose. Yeah. Things come together, the synchronicities, as you keep saying. You summed it up beautifully. That is it. <laughs> you can just cut your little bit doing that and then we'll do the whole interview. <laughs> wow. I'm so thankful and grateful that you took the time to listen to this podcast. It would mean the world to me if you could subscribe, download, rate, review, and share this with others whom you care about that may enjoy it as well. Thank you and remember to be kind to yourself and others. Have a awesome day, everyone.